Hello, welcome or welcome back to the Just Eat Normally podcast for eating disorder recovery with me, Dr. Rachel Evans. I am a psychologist, hypnotherapist with a PhD in the psychology of eating and specialist training in eating disorder recovery as well as personal experience of going through an eating disorder and coming out the other side which makes me super passionate about what I do and in every episode as with my one-to-one clients I'm bringing you academic knowledge, information and theories as well as therapeutic skills and personal experiences be that mine or experiences of my guests for a unique perspective on eating disorder recovery. So join me on this podcast as I speak to fellow experts in eating disorder recovery, eating disorder survivors with inspiring stories, and also throw in some bite-sized solo episodes with recovery tips or new ways for you to think about things. The goal of this podcast is to give you food for thought, to shift your mindset, to boost your motivation, and to help you find your own version of normal eating which will allow you to live a truly nourished life. Hey everyone, welcome back. So today we have got Alex, who is the founder of Weight Inclusive Training for nutritionists. And I'm a psychologist and I joined. So any um, healthcare professionals really who are interested in being more weight inclusive in their practice. And yeah, that's a tiny introduction Alex would you like to add anything else to introduce yourself yeah hi thank you so much for having me um I'm Alex I'm a registered associate nutritionist and a public health researcher so kind of have a few different roles but I work with clients one-on-one kind of looking at their relationship with food and movement and their body um work with a lot of clients who are trying to get pregnant but are kind of a bit fed up of hearing their doctor just say they need to lose weight to get pregnant or maybe they have PCOS or another kind of condition like that and they're just a bit fed up of not having the support they kind of deserve um and then yeah I'm also the founder of WIT which is a weight inclusive training platform for kind of any healthcare professional but I would say it's generally kind of targeted toward nutritionists and dietitians um basically anyone who wants to provide more compassionate and um just more weight inclusive care to their clients you know want to be a bit more sensitive to the topic of um of weight in you know generally and also are kind of fed up of all the training being focused on weight and want to find um better ways to support their clients really um and it's also a really nice network just to meet people and refer people on and yeah it's been a it's we only launched in april and it's been amazing so far um meeting loads of like-minded people and getting some really great uh, experts on to kind of t- teach us all new things about being a weight inclusive um, practitioner. Yeah I've really enjoyed the training so far actually it's um, come across different terms that I didn't know before mm-hmm. maybe in like the weight inclusive um, space and like you say new ideas and the networking side of it's really nice too so mm-hmm. I think it's going to continue to grow and grow and obviously we'll come on to why you decided to set that up but maybe mm-hmm. um first if you don't mind we could start with like what was your relationship with like food your body exercise like when you were growing up mm-hmm. so I think when I was very very young um I was always in you know a very small body so um I felt kind of on the other end of the spectrum of people kind of making fun of that side of of mm. things which is um kind of an interesting place to be when you now when I now work in this space um and then kind of I hit puberty and uh, hips boobs everything kind of appeared and it was just such a shock to the system and I think because of just kind of everything in like the the rise of the internet when I was like um, a teenager and everything I'd start watching like YouTube videos and seeing different things online and it just seemed that every girl my age especially girls I know that you know boys also struggle too but it really did seem to be mainly kind of girls in this space were just kind of so fixated on changing their body or controlling it in a way that I just was like yeah well that's what I have to do as well so it was just the norm to kind of um you know use my fitness palette like 14 or 15 you know just to 
and I it wasn't even that I necessarily had a massive um kind of issue with my body it just was everyone was doing it and I just got involved with you know tracking my calories trying to fit in exercise at lunchtime before school after school you know wherever I could and like I said it was just the norm there was no you know no one pointed out that it was strange because everyone was doing it and it was it really was the norm at the time and I think a, a lot of my clients kind of have a similar experience where they don't you know they haven't been on Weight Watchers or they haven't been on keto or a juice cleanse it's not these specific diets it's just that you know years and years of trying to control your weight through these you know these ways that are just so normalized now you know restricting through the week and then eat you know eating a lot more at the weekends and things like that um so yeah I kind of had that throughout my whole teenage life through into university really and then until I came across um people like Pixie Turner and Laura Thomas on Instagram who were doing more of intuitive eating and kind of introducing this idea of actually you don't have to always be changing the way you look to be happy and I it honestly was mind blowing you know it just felt like my whole life purpose was just to kind of fit in or look a certain way or change my body and that was kind of almost a hobby for a lot of people I knew and mm. myself included um so yeah that was kind of mind-blowing <laughs> when I saw all of that it was such a radical way of thinking about things um and then yeah as I went to study nutrition I kind of realized how yeah messed up everything is <laughs> and how especially for women it really is that fixation on weight and changing the way you look yeah, that's so interesting as well. Like you said about doing extra exercise at lunchtime and things like almost in our society, that's like, oh, well done. You're being really healthy. Or I know when I was getting into fitness, which uh, then turned into orthorexia and clean eating, mm-hmm. but it was almost like, well done. You're waking up at 5am to wake up and it's like, mm, okay, but for my overall well-being, it might have been better if I'd actually stayed in bed <laughs> those extra exactly. few hours, but it's yeah I guess praised a little bit in our society and like you say especially if all your friends are doing it Mm -hmm. yeah that's so interesting I think it depends what kind of school you go to maybe I would say with my clients more the trend is either they have been bullied Mm -hmm. for their weight and so that's kind of what's triggered it or they have been really super sporty not in a like Mm do sports to lose weight exercise to lose weight kind of way but then like you say when you stop doing all that sport sometimes and then your body changes and then it's almost like yeah. oh yeah I've got to do something about that definitely noticed that after leaving school I also went to an all-girls school which I think definitely kind of changes things um but yeah I think finding um going to uni and stopping that regular sport um yeah like you said I was very like sporty at school loved netball hockey everything basically I did all the sports um and then just kind of stopping that moving out you know going out more drinking and things like that your body does naturally change and obviously just getting older in general and it was just such a shock to the system like I said like it just um I never really had never really worried too much about the way I looked before and then suddenly everything was changing and I just didn't know how to kind of deal with it and especially I guess being on my own at uni and it was just yeah a massive a massive shock to the system and then just using anything I could to kind of control what I thought was controlling my weight and controlling the way I looked um and like you said I had you know going into that clean eating um kind of area was just so it was so normalized and like you said it was praised to be on all the green you know green smoothies and um you know exercising all the time and not adding oil to food I remember you know people saying you know just use water like oil doesn't you don't need oil when you cook and stuff like that and just Mm -hmm. those behaviors when you look back at the time it just felt so normal and now I look back and I'm like okay that was actually you know quite a disordered way of looking at food yeah like you say and then it takes up all your headspace to be thinking oh should I cook with this or that and you're like you say it almost becomes your hobby I was thinking about this the other day and I'm going to write an Instagram post about it but like um, when I was going out with my now husband, when we split up like twice when we were going out, mm-hmm. mostly because of my eating disorder. Um, and he was like, I don't know you. I don't know what you like. Say for Christmas, I don't know what to get you because if I buy you food, you'll freak out. But you, all you ever talk about is food and mm-hmm. exercise. And it's almost like, yeah, what else do you have in your life when you're so focused on that? Yeah, it becomes a personality trait, I think, you know, being that person that's into that sort of stuff. Um, and you, like you said, you just lose that that time to think about other things. And, you know, 
I should have been spending my time, you know, working hard at my A-levels and, you know, on my uni work and stuff like that. But it seemed so much more important at the time to be thinking about the way I look. And that's such a depressing thought and really, you know, a sad thing that I hope that kind of younger generations won't have that pressure as much and kind of have the the headspace that you said to kind of think about other things, more important things in this world. Yeah, I mean, I think the need or the desire to fit in is really like normal and natural, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. when I've been doing my trainings, I swear every training I do, it always, they always manage to fit in like this point of actually as cave people or in the past, if we were like excluded from society, we probably would have ended up dying. Mm-hmm. You know, being out there, it's not the same um, case now. We'd probably be all right on our own, but it doesn't feel nice to not feel accepted does it so but now in society it's we think like how we look is going to change that rather than actually whatever body size you are you can find friends I should imagine exactly yeah I know I completely agree that it is normal to want to do that but I wish it wasn't (laughs) you know I wish it wasn't the norm (laughs) that we had to yeah change the way we look to fit in or be accepted or even think we're, we're accepted like you said I don't think it really actually you know, if you have true friendships or true relationships or like your family, like they like you said, they, they love you either way and they want to support you through whatever. But then when, yeah, you just, in when you're in that headspace, you really just do think that if I change this one thing about myself, everything's going to change. And I know now that's not true, but at the time mm-hmm. it really feels like it's the only thing. And like, you know, losing control, like I said, like, you know, when circumstances change and things, food is such an easy thing to control. And it's like the first thing you think of, yeah, as, as the thing to control in your life and make you feel a bit more grounded and like you're doing something for you um, and it get, can easily go into a, a really kind of negative, negative outcome, I think. Yeah. Did you ever at uni have, like, I definitely had like stress eating around exams? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. And not being able to go to the gym as much um, mm. and then kind of really being hard on myself for that um and kind of not realizing that emotional eating is completely normal and that you know it makes sense that you're going to pick convenience foods when you're in a time of stress it just you know it all makes sense and our weight isn't meant to be stable for our whole lives it fluctuates through you know times of stress times of relaxation different you know life stages and just kind of not realizing that and thinking that we're meant to look the same forever is um I think one of the the things that I really struggled with definitely yeah I was thinking that exact point when you were talking um earlier about puberty and bodies changing and then I was also thinking like later in life probably women around the menopause like their Mm -hmm. weight often does change and people sort of put on weight then but actually isn't it like actually when you're an older adult if you have a bit more meat on your bones let's say um if you fall over you're probably less likely to get injured so it's like almost a good thing that your body's trying to protect itself like that or your metabolism change and that's normal but then I see a lot like people talk um like niching in weight loss after the menopause and stuff like that and I I wonder if that's a good thing or not yeah definitely no I've seen that a lot it's a lot of get back to your basically pre-menopause state Mm. of look of the way you look and I think you know like you said around puberty you know, that layer of fat over our reproductive organs is there for a reason. Um, and I just don't think we're kind of taught that that's okay. Do you know, you know, everything in school is how to maintain a healthy weight. And it's all you kind of in your head, you're thinking, okay, that means I can't fluctuate, and I can't change, and I can't kind of grow. <laughs> and it's when we really need to be told, actually, you know, it's normal to have a bit more fat around your stomach especially as a woman to protect your reproductive organs like that's okay and like you said as you go through life your body will change and I just don't think we're ever kind of told that and that's why it becomes such a shock to people and can really impact their body image and the way they think about themselves. Yeah I can't even remember doing about healthy eating at school we probably did but I can't remember I feel like just we made like apple crumble and stuff in in cooking. Yeah probably one like half an hour lesson and that's it. Yeah, and then I was thinking like more sex education type stuff was like, don't get pregnant, put this condom on, on a banana, you'll grow boobs yeah. and get periods. <laughs> don't be scared. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And then off you go. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> yeah, but like Definitely. you say, actually those natural fluctuations, because I find like even throughout the year, I probably naturally get 
a little bit slimmer in summer because I'm walking more because it's nicer weather to be outside and then in winter maybe I put yeah. it on a little bit and that's okay I always tell my clients that like you are going to fluctuate and for me it's about um being okay with that having a tolerance for fluctuations mm-hmm. in your body weight and I guess feeling good enough in yourself that that's okay for that to happen yeah. but I know it's hard to get to that place if you're so focused on weight but I suppose it is possible that's what I'm saying yeah exactly and like I'm in a similar um position with my clients where I'm you know trying to talk through that and kind of figure out why it impacts them so much let's say but I think what I always try and remind them is you know you've been you know either dieting or trying to control your weight for however many years having you know three months working with me isn't going to undo all of that work it's you know it's a it's a lifetime of kind of working on it and it's not kind of you I never get to a point where you're like actually I'm 100% okay with the way I look I don't think I think it's it's a constant journey of trying to yeah just have a bit more peace with the way that you look and that doesn't mean loving everything about yourself it just means being like I said okay with fluctuations and okay with changes and being thankful for what it can do and that sort of thing rather than fixating on what you think other people are saying about you yeah definitely that um almost guessing what other people mind reading that's I was like I know there's a word for this um Mm -hmm. yeah mind reading isn't helpful and I find with my clients as well sometimes if they are having like a bad body image time often it's if they have periods like before their period and then they get critical of themselves and maybe you are feeling a bit more bloated and I think as well in society then we've got this like oh I'm bloated that's bad because I look bigger that's a negative like it's all Mm -hmm. could go into that for ages but let's (laughs) keep it short but I think that is the underlying so I think even sometimes just realizing okay I'm feeling a bit worse about my body today because I don't know I saw my friend who's stick thin and that makes me feel a certain way like that's Mm -hmm. okay just understanding that's going on and I guess do you, we've gone off like a total tangent but just quickly (laughs) while we're talking about body image um do you have any um like tips or activities that you do with your clients to help them kind of have that more neutrality or like appreciation of their body even Mm -hmm. I think um you kind of touched on it the first thing is just kind of accepting that like with weight is going to fluctuate that body image is going to fluctuate as well Mm. almost like being okay with that is kind of the first step and recognizing it and kind of really thinking about okay what happened on that day that made me feel like that and sometimes it just appears and you really can't pinpoint it but I think Mm. quite a lot of the time like you said it can be you saw something you know online or in person that kind of um, made you feel a certain way or around your period is definitely a massive one Um, you know with hormone fluctuations your um, you know your mood changing and like the way you look slightly changes and I really find that people can link it to that and linking it to it really can help with accepting it I think because you can be like okay that makes sense now and you know the rational side of my brain can say well I can pinpoint why that happened and I can move forward now and Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the first the first step um I really find that doing a social media cleanse is one of the first things I do with my clients and it's like (laughs) mind-blowing kind of results because they just and I do it with myself often because sometimes I find that I've ended up following people who don't necessarily align with kind of my way of working or Mm. post kind of like problematic stuff and I find that just every so often just going through my social media and making sure that it's filled with a really diverse range of people um and yeah just kind of no one who's going to be posting like calorie comparisons of food and you know just like all Mm. those sort of things or even people who only post what we'd consider consider like nutrient dense or healthy food because you know that can just kind of you make you like almost subconsciously feel like oh well that means they must eat like that all the time and we know that Instagram really is the highlights of people's lives so um uh, yeah I find the social media plans is something that is so useful and really helps with the comparison kind of side of body image yeah I mean I think as well it's good like you say to do it regularly because sometimes you might just be in a different mood because sometimes yeah I 
I follow quite a lot of people who do post, like you say, the nutrient dense food smoothie bowls and stuff from when I used to have a health food blog and that's kind of what I was doing. And sometimes I really like seeing that, you know, if I'm going, uh, maybe I could make a bit more effort to eat some more vegetables. If um, I don't know if you ever, life gets busy. I eat toast yeah. for like breakfast and lunch for like two weeks and then I'm like, okay, let's add some more vegetables. <laughs> um, so yeah. I like seeing it then, but yeah, not all the time if you're like, oh, why is, yeah. Just yeah, sometimes, sometimes, but you're in control of what you're exactly. seeing on your social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you need in, like meal inspiration. So I'm 100, percent you know, up for that. And I love seeing pretty pictures of food, but kind of having a reality check and being like, this isn't that every day. You know, they also eat all the other foods that I enjoy as well. It's not just just these smoothie bowls or just these beautiful salads. <laughs> I mean, I would also argue that possibly they don't, and that is all they eat. But then yeah. there's other factors there in terms of are they scared to eat something that isn't those uh, healthy inverted commas foods or, you know, that's their job to eat exactly. those kind of things and do, and how they maybe have the time to prep all those kind of foods. Because sometimes I intend to make my own pesto, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm just like, mm, no, can't be bothered. I'm <laughs> just going to yeah. buy some. Exactly. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. Like you said, some people are so far into the kind of clean eating space that it really like you said can can really be quite problematic for themselves and for their followers or um you know or people who just kind of see that stuff online so you know there's definitely a fine line but like I said you know just and doing it regularly I think is the way forward because then you can yeah with your mood you can kind of change who you're seeing or you can you you can mute people you know I know that some people feel uncomfortable and following people if they're like actual friends or people they know so just muting people who aren't you know making your social media experience a positive one I think is really important so it should just be something you enjoy and that you you know gain either you know I mean when I go on I gain kind of information I love seeing kind Mm -hmm. of informative posts and I do find Instagram a really useful way to kind of catch up with stuff that's going on in kind of really easy to read (laughs) and digestible ways. But at the same time, I recognize that it can be really problematic. So cultivating it and making it work for me is kind of the the key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Okay, let's go back to your story because so how did you go for, no, no, it's okay. I always go off around the houses a million times. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you were at uni studying nutrition and then you kind of got exposed to more intuitive eating and you didn't say health at every size, but I'm guessing like health at every size Mm -hmm. approaches. And yeah, what what happened from there? Yeah, so I went to, uh, my undergraduate degree was in um, biological sciences. So I picked all the um, nutrition exercise uh, modules because that was what I was most interested in so I was picking all those modules and it was quite weight centric um, not not a crazy amount because it wasn't nutrition you know straight it was kind of um, biochemistry and things like that as well so it was um, it was a really like, it was a really enjoyable experience but I just hadn't even thought about this other way of working yet and then I think probably in my third year when I applied to do my master's in nutrition was when I started becoming exposed to intuitive eating health every time but I did not understand it and I was very much on the outside looking in thinking you know what is all this about and how can this make sense when all I've been told is the opposite um Mm. and then I went to do my master's in nutrition and I really kind of delve a lot deeper into haze and so health at every size and the non-diet approach and I just it just kept being like light bulbs in my head like oh, this makes so much sense. And there's actually research to back it up. It's not just someone's idea of it's nice to be (laughs) inclusive to everyone, which is obviously an amazing idea. But I was like, oh, there's actually evidence that backs this up that, you know, diets don't work in the long term, that weight stigma is a real thing and impacts people's health. um, And that intuitive eating can really work for people. And we don't have to constantly control what we eat. We can just listen to how what our bodies want us to eat and we'll probably end up getting all the nutrients we need and having quite a varied diet and a you know balanced in inverted commas diet. So um yeah, I was seeing all that coming up. And then I was when I went to do um nutrition, it was so weight centric. It was unbelievable. Could you just explain like for people that maybe don't know, like what does weight centric mean it's probably a word that's not used very often yeah of course um it just it's basically means that every (laughs) 
what it was really like in reality was going into every lecture and it being on diabetes or it being on um, fertility or, you know, any basically anything to do with um, with any form of disease or any form of life stage. And all, the answer was always lose weight or, you know, obesity is a risk factor or being overweight is a risk factor. And it's just basically teaching you that your job as a nutritionist is to help people lose weight. And that's kind of, it's just so centered around weight rather than thinking about the big picture of what that actually means. It's not necessarily that the weight actually reduces um, the risk. It's more that because you are, you know, eating more vegetables or doing more movement, that these things are actually the things that reduces the risk. And learning that through, you know, being online and reading books and stuff like that, um, was really kind of radical to me but also it just made so much more sense and then reading the studies kind of on the side of doing uni um, really kind of exposed me to this way of working and then I went into an obesity lecture which called just called obesity and the lecturer walks in and just comes in and says I'm not here to discuss the health at every size approach and I will not talk about the non-diet way of working and I just sat there thinking why am I paying 13 grand to, for someone to not even let me have a discussion? I hadn't said anything at this point. She just I had such a bias. They, they just put one slide in, even just as like, here's your one token slide about it. Now onto what I was yeah. saying. But yeah, oh my gosh. Literally walked through and saying it's that. It's so threatening if you've based your whole career on something though, to then be told actually know what you're doing potentially yeah. isn't helping people. Like it's, it is I, I should imagine that would be very difficult to make a switch then. Yeah, I think once you've been kind of like touted as like an obesity expert or a heart disease expert and you have been quoted this many times saying stuff about um, the obesity epidemic and all of these sort of things, then yeah, it must be a bit kind of embarrassing to go back on your word or to even consider thinking in this way. So I, you know, I, like I said, I do kind of sympathize with that, but at the same time, it was the way that I thought university was not meant to just be being told what to do. It was meant to mm. be where people would go and discuss ideas and you'd have conversations and you'd all learn from each other. And it wasn't necessarily that there was one expert and we were all just learning. It's, you know, it's conversations. And hearing that, I was like, okay, maybe this wasn't the best idea for me because I feel like all my learning was offline and it wasn't, you know, at uni. Yeah, that's so funny because I did my master's straight after my undergrad and I literally wanted to be spoon fed. I was like, just tell me the answer. The most important thing for me is getting a distinction. Um, And then when they would make us have discussions that would sometimes run over and I just wanted to drive home and I was like, well, you just shut up talking. Like I just (laughs) want to leave. I was the exact opposite, but I do get your point. Actually having those discussions is very important because I also found, so my master's was health psychology Mm -hmm. and the papers that I were reading was reading were talking about the obesity epidemic and um almost that is it like paternal what's the word um where it's like oh we need to help everyone eat healthier almost like that's and so I was reading those papers and almost to justify my own research when you're at master's level especially I think anything you have to find other papers that have done similar Mm -hmm. and I was actually going to do my uh, research about stress eating um and students but I couldn't find enough papers about it so they were almost like well you can't do that because you don't have enough justification in your introduction so I actually did it about um why intentions don't predict our behavior which maybe we'll come on to talk about later and Mm -hmm. why just giving people information about like healthy eating doesn't work and what else impacts it um Mm -hmm. what was my point yeah but it's again I think I was just saying it's all this still the weight centric side of things and thinking like you should eat this certain way should look a certain way and then you'll be healthy and I got so scared of developing a chronic disease even though actually I was pretty healthy in the first place but then I was like I'm reading all these things about it's almost like if you're I can't I'm not explaining this very well because my clients often say this as well they're so worried about being in the overweight or obese bracket even though they're not that they take action to not be in it yeah. Because they think if I'm in that bracket, I'm going to have all these other health risks that then actually they go the opposite way and get disordered eating or an eating disorder because they're trying so hard to avoid it. When I yeah, think the- exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, all people who are in the overweight or obese BMI categories have so much fear and so much, um, I guess, 
literally being like shouted at by doctors mm. and dietitians and other people that they or PTs or anyone that they need to lose weight so that they'll do anything to lose that weight because they like you said before like you know they want you know acceptance from society and they want and they're scared of these you know everyone's saying well you must remember the cancer research um, advert saying you know obesity is the biggest risk of cancer can you imagine mm. being obese and seeing that it's it's terrifying and kind of I can just imagine and I, I know from clients that people will do anything to lose weight and that does that doesn't mean they will engage in healthy behaviors you know they'll do the laxatives they'll do the juice cleanses they'll cut out food groups which we know is not healthy but doctors and other nutritionists and dietitians and PTs will be clapping and being like yes you've lost weight well done but doesn't mean they're healthier and I think that's when people just get confused is that weight doesn't equal health and it's mm. really that simple we don't know what's going on inside someone's body so let's not try and pretend we do yeah definitely and I think the way I think about it now and I tell people sometimes people like look at me like they're like what is Rachel on about and maybe a penny will drop later about it but it's weight is not a behavior it's not something that we can change yes. in that way like smoking is a behavior that we can change doing more mm -hmm. movement is a behavior that we can change possibly some people need support to do that and it's not like like we said before that you've decided you want to do it so you can follow through with that decision but actually they are behaviors that we could potentially change whereas weight just doesn't change because we want it to yeah weight's an outcome not a behavior mm -hmm. so why do we focus on that and say you need to lose weight but we haven't given the full story and the kind of steps up to that if that makes sense so you know we say you know you go to a doctor's surgery for example for fertility and they say you need to lose five to ten percent of your body weight and that's just not useful. It's like, okay, but how? And how do I get there? And what do I do? And I mean, we know now that even that five to ten percent thing is the studies that don't really um, kind of support that in the long term. But we kind of know that doesn't work. But it just—it's frustrating because, like you said, the doctors are seeing, or you know, whoever is seeing it as as the behaviour, not an outcome. So they need to focus on things that you can change, like I said, stopping smoking, reducing alcohol exercising more more fruit and veg more fiber these things are behaviors that we can change um so if we focus on those things and promoting those sort of behaviors then we'll have a healthy society a healthier society so I don't see why it's such a controversial thing but it still is <laughs> yeah I think that leads on to um we were going to talk about the calorie labeling but just um mm -hmm super quickly I would love to talk about um wit and how you came on to setting that up yeah so um I mean as you can tell I'm kind of very passionate about this subject and I'm really frustrated by the way that when I did my degree and like I said spent almost I think it was almost 13,000 on it for a year to become a registered nutritionist that I didn't really think that the quality of education was there in the first place and then never mind um having anything to do with being a weight inclusive practitioner or um yeah doing the the non-diet approach in general or being a compassionate counsellor or you know being able to listen to people we didn't we weren't taught any of this it was just so such basic like biochemistry and then um a little bit about oh well if you were in the clinic if you wanted to be a dietitian you could end up doing this and it's so like, well I didn't want to be a dietitian I want to be a nutritionist teach me how to do that so I decided to set up WIT um because I was fed up of paying a lot of money for weight inclusive CPD because it is a really expensive um, way to learn and it's uh, there's amazing courses out there and they're definitely worth the money but it's more if you're kind of just getting started in this approach mm -hmm. and maybe you've just graduated or maybe you've been doing a weight uh, weight centric approach sorry for a long time and you're thinking oh actually this doesn't feel right anymore and you want to you know dip your toes into the weight um the weight inclusive approach then WIT is there just to kind of give you the basics and it'll t we have had um kind of had webinars so far on the non-diet approach so a really nice general one we've had one about eating disorders in clinics we've had um one about treating or working with fat people who want to get pregnant um, we've got ones coming up on the social determinants of health you know there's so many different things that we're going to be covering body image basically everything you weren't taught at uni if you went to uni to be a nutritionist or a dietitian we're going to teach you it over on WIT and it's also a really nice um, community which I found was kind of lacking because 
so many people work in the weight centric um, kind of area that you kind of feel a bit alone. Sometimes when you find this new kind of radical way of working, you can think, is this just me doing this? So it's really nice to have a nice network. Yeah, especially um, because I work, as you know, with clients with eating disorders. um, And then I am really careful if they say they're working with a nutritionist already, or I'm trying to refer them to a dietitian of what's this person's approach, because I don't want to be doing all the work to try and uh, help change how people are thinking about food for then the nutritionist or dietitian to be like this is a good food this is a bad food and almost people have Undo those conflicting approaches <laughs> it gets it gets really confusing for people I think and I'm there like it's okay maybe listening to their body isn't the first step that we're going to go through but like trust that you can get there and then those messages mm-hmm. um which I think again comes on to the um calorie labeling on menus of actually it's telling Mm. us don't trust your body trust this number that's printed on a menu so um for anyone who doesn't know in the UK the was in the Queen's speech wasn't it but the government have also outlined um I don't know all the technical terms but (laughs) essentially in layman's terms in a nutshell um that they want to implement a legislation for businesses with over 250 employees to have the calorie count of items on the menu printed on the menu and I was going to say that's upset a lot of people with eating disorders but that definitely trivializes it um I don't know why that was the first phrase that came into my head but it that is essentially what's happened um that we are worried about the impact um that this could have on people um so I thought it would be nice to discuss with Alex like maybe what are the pros and cons of doing this and coming from that more intuitive eating um, side of things why it might not be a good idea to do this so I don't know if you want to explain any more about the situation if I haven't explained it very well um, or like your initial thoughts. Yeah no you explained it exactly right yeah it's just going to be they're going to be printed on whether you kind of like it or not whether you want to see it or not they're going to be on kind of chain restaurant menus so um in the US, it already kind of um, has been happening for quite a while now, a good few years. And when I first, I mean, I heard about it, I think they've been trying to bring it in for a few years. And then now that the Queen's kind of said it, it's actually going to happen. Um, but I, I saw it a few years ago, and I just, I could not comprehend why this is the thing that they're pushing the most, basically. When we know, like, looking into it, even on a superficial level, the evidence isn't there. We, you know, there's, We've seen that kind of the studies that have been done, you know, in observational studies mainly, which is already a problem because that kind of doesn't reflect real life. We need more natural experiments if we're going to kind of really look into it. But um, these observational studies have shown that the only people that really take notice of the calories are people who already engage in risky eating behaviours. So like you said, people with eating disorders or people with disordered eating behaviours, for example, taking laxatives or um, just trying to control their weight in kind of anyway really or in healthy ways um so I just think that not making it a choice and just having it there is going to have the impact that they kind of assume it will have I think that it's just it's just tiring because I think like after the pandemic and everything we've seen how people's mental health has been impacted and everyone was really taking notice of that and um the government um published their body image um kind of Mm. review not even that long ago what a month ago or so and it felt like things were on the up and then this happens and I just think they've just kind of completely ignored what they've said before and haven't taken into consideration people who struggle with food and struggle with their body yeah and I guess for people who don't know I think I did really quickly cover it in another episode but my take-homes from the body image report were essentially that they were confirming weight stigma is a real thing people who feel stigmatized because of their weight um actually probably end up feeling more stressed and we know that stress can have an impact on your health maybe they're less likely to go to the doctors and actually get treatment for something um so yeah weight stigma um and then i think with this calorie labeling war on obesity that is weight stigma in itself perpetuating it so yeah that is not great um and then also the report highlighted that there's not enough funding for eating disorders um so yeah and also over we think that over a million people in the UK have an eating disorder so that's just the people that have been diagnosed I think people who don't 
fit into a category or have disordered eating or haven't accepted that there's something wrong with their eating, there's definitely more people um, than that. So there are a large number of people who would be affected by seeing these calorie labels as mandatory, like you say. Um, yeah, also, so that's... Mm. I would say I also think that we know that calories don't tell us the full story. We've mm. known this for quite a while now. And like, I ju- it just surprises me that they're still going down this route when we know that calories doesn't tell us, you know, how nutrient dense a food is, you know, does it have this vitamin does it have this mineral, you know, how much of it's made up of salt, sugar, you know, it's not telling us that much, really. Um, and it also doesn't tell us how much it's going to satisfy you, is it going to hit the spot? Is it, you know, calories don't tell us how we're going to enjoy the food with our family, you know, it doesn't tell us all the complexities of eating, and it reduces it to such a simple thing. Um, and I just really think it undermines the message that a lot of nutritionists and dietitians and psychiatrists and personal trainers who are in this space are trying to get across which is focus on what you can add in rather than what you can take away and I think that's the problem with these calorie menus it's just it's making it too simple and we know that health's not simple yeah I was gonna say my annoyance with it is the assumptions that I'm thinking this method um makes so like you say it assumes people are going to see the calories on menus and like we said, probably the people who are most likely to see them are people who are already interested in health or people with disordered eating and eating disorder. Um, So yeah, a lot of people aren't even going to see it. So that filters out a lot of people from being inverted commas helped um, by it. And then it assumes that they're going to want to take that uh, information into account when they make a decision. But actually people have a lot of other priorities when they're eating out. So like you say, maybe it is taste. And there's this paper that I um, love. I remember it from my PhD. It's actually um, people, it's called the um, unhealthy, tasty intuition. So if mm-hmm. something's unhealthy or probably potentially higher calorie, people think it's going to taste nicer. So actually it might have the opposite effect and people might think, oh, well, that salad's got X calories. It's probably going to taste like rabbit food. I'm going to have this other more calorie dense thing that's probably going to be more yummy um but even in terms of like price some people's internal filters they're probably just looking what are the price of these items how much do I have in the bank you know to be able to afford what today so they're potentially not going to be looking at the calories and then I think if you are you're kind of getting into that dilemma aren't you of like oh do I go with price or do I go with calories and Mm -hmm. that's also difficult um, situation to be in did you want to add on yeah yeah I was just gonna say I think um if it was this simple then why do the most deprived areas in the UK have the highest obesity levels you know it's mm-hmm. not that it's just oh, it's just it's making a very complex situation into um just a number on a on a laminated piece of paper like it's just the government should be spending their energy and I presume there's some there'll be money involved in this you know there'll be committees making all these rules and consultants coming in and talking about it they could be spending this on you know the crisis that's happened after the pandemic with eating disorders and also with food insecurity in general you know the amount of people who are food insecure in the UK has almost doubled since we've um, been in the pandemic and impacting you know marginalized groups more than ever and there's there's so many more issues that I think take precedent over this which doesn't even have the evidence to back it up so it's just it's a bit exhausting and I can see what they're trying to do which is probably like the sugar tax where they're trying to get restaurants to reformulate their food and make them less high in um, for example salt or sugar or fat but like we know you know an avocado is something that you know, it's quite an energy dense food. So, but we know it also has so many other amazing nutrients in it. So it's, it's just not as simple as they're making out. I think it's basically my main point, which I keep saying again and again, because mm-hmm. I'm just so fed up with them not addressing the complexity of, of the food system. Yeah, I feel like you're saying this is like a token gesture. Yeah, it's like an easy win. <laughs> dealing with the, the issues and also we know from research that food insecurity is a risk factor for eating disorders exactly. as well. Yeah, Never all the trauma the that it's having now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the trauma that comes along with not having enough food um, at some point in your life, you kind of, most people kind of carry with them for forever and it really does impact 
yeah the way that they see food and I mean you you're the expert here with this but like with binge eating disorder I think a lot of it does come from having food insecurity at some point in their life before so it's um yeah it's just I don't think that it is going to be a useful initiative and I think that the studies will show that because I know that um some people that I'm working with are going to be doing a review of it when it comes into um comes into policy I suppose and Mm. I just don't think that we'll get the results that, that the government are kind of hoping for here. And, but it's just, it's a frustrating that that has to come into place before we can, you know, and a pro, you know potentially impact a lot of people before um, we see that it probably won't end up doing any, any, any good anyway. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about off air, I have been looking at the um, research from America, large scale, um, can't think what the word is well we know in New York they implemented calorie labels and then there's another study which I will link to um in the show notes and actually they found that it did decrease calorie intake like the year after by 60 calories on average mm-hmm. per sort of meal out which really you think the potential for harm it, this is just my personal opinion potential for harm is way more than that tiny potential benefit of 60 calories which is like in terms of intuitive eating it's kind of nothing really but when you're in diet culture that is a lot it's the difference between whether you're going to have this snack bar or that snack bar and and those things so yeah I am so I'll go go ahead I was just gonna say I think that's the whole thing with policy isn't it and public health in general it's all about the risk reward kind of uh situation of you know thinking how many people will this impact you know are we going to go for a large scale um intervention are we going to do individualized interventions but like you said like this one is the one that I'm really can't get on board with all the others I can kind of see the pros and cons list whereas this one the cons are down you know go on for pages whereas the Mm. pros are just there's just not that many so I'm, I'm just very very surprised that it's been pushed forward so much especially considering it's not something that really will make the government any money unlike the soft drinks levy which obviously is a taxation so that will um you know generate some income so yeah I'm just I need to do more of a deep dive in it into it because it's just fascinating why they're pushing it so hard yeah I mean we both said before this didn't we we could write a whole thesis about yeah. the pros and cons and potential um outcomes from this um had another point that's just escaped my own. oh yeah we were also talking about the potential um pros I guess we kind of both said having this information available on request is not something that I would disagree with because I think yeah personal choice able to make a decision if you want to but again it's probably going to be the people who are most interested in health and fitness Mm -hmm. that would have that information and I think another thing for me is how often are people eating out yeah in the first place you know if you're going out maybe once a week or twice a week not even that and you want to have my husband <laughs> I always use this example for my clients as well I don't know if he knows or not but he's not got a choice in it <laughs> he always orders like the double burger with egg and bacon and cheese and everything going on he knows that's not I don't want to say good and bad but you know not the most healthy choice on the menu um uh, I hate saying healthy and unhealthy, but like it's, like we know, it depends on the context of your overall diet and stuff. But he knows he could order something else, but he wants to order that. Okay, he's not going out that often. Is that a problem? But if he was stressing out about calories, then it would be. I didn't explain that very well because I'm not very good at the nuanced conversations, but no, you get my I know point. exactly <laughs> what you mean. You know, it's all about, um, it's just, yeah, it's looking at the overall dietary pattern. You know, if you had that mm-hmm. burger with everything on for, breakfast lunch dinner every day of the week then yeah you probably would end up missing out on some key nutrients and Mm -hmm. probably end up um consuming a lot more um than you kind of necessarily need to get by for the day Mm -hmm. but um we kind of know that if you take those foods and restrict them and put them off limits then you're more likely to end up kind of um overeating or binging these foods so it's like like you said, like putting the calories on there just simplifies it way too much. And it takes away the fun side of eating and the enjoyable side of eating. And the fact that we really can eat anything that we want um, in the context of our general overall diet over a long period of time 
it's not yeah. as simple as yeah I just think... get rid of this and eat this yeah I feel like why this is almost it is kind of like a circular not circular conversation but it keeps coming back to the same sort of underlying points of like say with the burger thing if -hmm. you're in diet land and stressing out about the calories and then you're going to plan what you eat the next day around oh I've had that burger but actually if you're listening to your hunger and fullness you probably realize oh I'm quite full from that okay maybe naturally you eat a little bit less the next day but maybe naturally you don't and that's fine as well but I also had a burger when we went out on Monday (laughs) it was my granddad's birthday and he was so happy that he could go out um like for a meal out because obviously he missed it last year um so yeah I had the burger and chips and I was saying like usually if I have something say small for dinner like a chicken salad or something then I'm probably hungry to have a snack whereas in this case with, with the burger I didn't have a snack and I think I only think about stuff like this because I want to find examples to tell my clients about how look this can work in practice I think I wouldn't have even thought about it if if I wasn't in this area um but my body knows you've had that okay you don't I was gonna say you don't need a snack I didn't want a snack yeah in the evening and that's it just, and it's, 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 work. you have to trust it and like you said it's not a conscious decision it's just that your body's had enough food so it's happy and it doesn't it's not giving you those signals to eat and once you've kind of got back to that um way of eating and being intuitive and listening to your body and listening to those cues and unpacking everything that's happened before and it's not an easy process I'm not going to pretend it is but once you do get there you really just open up a lot more time to be thinking about other things and not about food and I think that's what's most rewarding for my clients and you know for myself doing Mm. it myself it's just like it's just one less thing to think about it's great you know having to worry about food and not having to stress and plan ahead and think too far um into every decision that I make and um yeah I think that's what's really kind of amazing about intuitive eating or just even starting to listen to your body a little bit more yeah I think it's that flexibility isn't it because then I was thinking Mm -hmm. on Monday actually the burger wasn't my first choice but they didn't have my first choice and so I could be like oh okay great I'll just order something else that's easy whereas I think if you got so sucked into the calories and they didn't have your first choice at this amount of calories and then you were like ah what else will I pick it almost makes things that don't have to be a problem into a problem um I was just wondering as well so I think what's going to have to happen is people who would be worried about the calories are going to have to find a way to manage going out I don't know if there is the potential um for restaurants to make menus without calories almost as the exception do you know like you can be like can I have the gluten-free menu or something can I have the no calorie mm-hmm. menu so that would obviously you'd have to ask for it but would uh, potentially be a positive thing for people who have an eating disorder or disordered eating um I suppose, do you have any tips or anything you do with your clients to kind of help them already? Because I know we've got like those traffic light systems on stuff anyway that we almost have to ignore a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. That wasn't a real question, but is there anything you do around that to help people navigate these calories kind of being put in your face? Yeah, so I haven't necessarily dealt with it yet, but I have been thinking about how it will impact people. And I've been thinking maybe if you are going with someone, a trusted kind of friend or partner or family member is asking them to cover them up for you if they can, you know, kind of take, you know, asking them if they would be able to help out and try and, you know, take some post-it notes and cover them up if they can. Um, Also just reducing the amount of anxiety and stress that day as much as you can. Mm. So kind of um, if you know you're going out for dinner and you're thinking this could potentially be a kind of triggering situation for me, kind of what can you do that day to put you in the best mindset to face that challenge or that situation so that you know it really there's no prescriptive kind of thing here it's really what works for you is that going on a walk is that doing some meditation is that taking time for yourself is that making sure you're well rested so you're kind of in the best kind of headspace to deal with these with this potential problem um those are kind of the main things that I've been thinking about but I really do think it's going to be really quite a challenging situation for a lot of people and I'm yeah I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit nervous I suppose for how I can help support people because it is going to be in people's faces and I unfortunately I don't think that there's going to be the option to have the calorie free if it it does go through as kind of legislation um which is yeah a real shame but hopefully 
And maybe I suppose one thing to do is try and avoid those chain restaurants. And I know that's yeah. maybe mm. easier said than done, but try to go to the smaller places that are not going to have to have the calories on the menus. Um, it may be a kind of a good choice. But again, those sort of places are usually a bit more expensive as well. So it might not be as simple as that. Yeah, I think that's a good point, though, if you have the means to do that, like supporting small businesses or local local that's a good word local businesses mm-hmm. rather than like you say the big chains but sometimes it's just I don't know if you're a service station or something easier to go with yeah with a big one or uh this is when it gets more complicated isn't it? then your friends are like oh let's go to this big one but like you say I think sometimes even sounds a bit boring but just having you know if say I'm going to use Nando's as an example because I think mm-hmm. <laughs> people in England love Nando's um if your friends want to go to Nando's just having the same thing that you order every time that you know I go to Nando's I order that I don't even need to look at the menu and yeah it's not the most exciting but it's almost saving you having to make a choice and get into that mental battle with yourself and I think as well having almost strengthening that other voice that's not the eating disorder voice in the first place of like you've got your kind of go-tos of like like you say actually avocados are really going to help my skin and help my hair so that's a nice choice or this food is going to give me energy and kind of having the things um to reply back to and I think as well just knowing and it doesn't always make you feel better um but knowing other people are going to be struggling too sometimes it kind of does make you feel better and um yeah I definitely cried in restaurants before stressing out about the food so if that did happen you're not the only one and there's they don't know why you're crying <laughs> it could be <laughs> could be a different situation but um I think just as well having that almost positive attitude which is sometimes a bit difficult isn't it but just thinking yeah I can get through this yeah and setting you yourself so up far. to do well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely I completely agree I think just remembering all the wins you've had and like I said, you know, building that kind of that toolbox of all those things that help you through that situation or reminding yourself of those before you go. And, you know, like I said, if you can have someone who's kind of on your side, who you're with, you know, someone who you've maybe kind of spoken to about your um, eating disorder or disordered eating or, yeah, just someone who you can trust, who can be there to kind of hold your hand through the situation. I think it's, it's always nice having someone to support you. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking is in terms of the mind reading, um, I know a lot of my clients um, in larger bodies worry if they order something when they go out that's perceived not healthy, that people will be thinking, oh, why has she ordered or he ordered that? Mm-hmm. They're already big enough like that. It's the kind of internal dialogue that people have. But I think as well, just remembering people are so interested in their own food and their own experience in the restaurant that they're not looking at you and what you're ordering and almost order order what you want at the restaurant I know again easier said than done but sometimes I think it's nice to remember people care about themselves way more than they care about you and if they've invited you up for dinner they want to spend time with you they want to see Mm. you they want to chat with you they're not there to they haven't invited you to judge your food so like you said that rational side of the brain you need to kind of try and listen to that one as much as possible and like I said easier said than done but really trying to fixate on that side of the brain rather than the eating disorder side who's telling you all the opposite things yeah and I do I do like your point I think it's a really good um point to try and get yourself in that more calm mental space before you even go like you say mm-hmm. with what can help you relax because then it's easier to get in touch with that uh sort of rational part of your brain yeah 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 and planning maybe planning it on a day where you know you haven't got a horrendous day at work and you haven't got mm-hmm. to rush around you know when trying to take it step by step I suppose yeah it's so funny <laughs> I always like find counterpoints but sometimes it's also good like to do it spontaneously and just throw yourself in and have to deal with it but then sometimes that's too yeah. much so I suppose as well I think both of us I'm assuming you would agree to answer this too but like there's no perfect there's never going to be a perfect situation take baby steps even if you just go to the restaurant and you do pick the lowest calorie thing but you're ordering out at a restaurant yeah. that's a good step maybe you could do something differently um next time so last question uh what would you say to someone who said I just want to eat normally I would say I completely agree and I would love everyone to eat normally and I think that there's bigger systemic issues which is why we can't all necessarily eat normally but what we can do on an individual level to start with is just really trying to listen to our body and taking some time 
slowing down with the whole meal process and just having one meal where you sit and you listen to what your body's saying before taking note of how your stomach feels how your head feels what your energy levels like and then as you go through the meal seeing what changes with these these different kind of symptoms of hunger and fullness and just doing one meal like that can really be kind of a eye-opening experience and you realize that you've actually been suppressing these natural signs that your body gives you and just by doing that can really kind of yeah literally open your eyes to the to to your body's you know want to guide you and it, it wants the best for you and I think remembering that can really help with them um, trying to kind of eat normally you know as you know what does that mean and it means different things to different people but I find that that's kind of the first step and realizing that your body is trying to guide you in the right direction can be just such a, a really yeah light bulb moment for people yeah lovely and where can people find you Yes, so I'm on Instagram at The Collective Wellness. Um, and that's kind of my handle for um everywhere. I'm on I have a website and things like that. You can find out how to work with me if you want to um kind of break free from dieting, if you have any disordered eating behaviors, or if you are looking to get pregnant and don't want a side of diet culture with that, then um you can contact me there. And I'm also at wit underscore cpd if you are a healthcare professional who wants to uh, get some more training in the weight neutral approach yeah thank you so much thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to the just eat normally podcast i hope you found this enjoyable interesting and insightful and informative and if you did make sure to subscribe to hear the next episode And just remember that you can check out the show notes for contact details and extra resources.